The Trumpet Daily program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily program begins right now. Today, we received a tremendous vote of confidence from the citizens of Israel. But one thing is already clear, that our way has proven itself. As it stands, Benjamin Netanyahu and his allies could have 65 seats in the parliament. Keep in mind, all they need is 61 seats to have a ruling majority. So it does seem as though so far, if these numbers hold, that Benjamin Netanyahu will once again become prime minister, starting his uh, 16th year as a prime minister, already the longest serving prime minister, and he would continue to do so. But what's been the most notable change of this election uh, compared to the last four elections is the rise of that far-right party, religious Zionism slash Jewish party. These are two Jewish power. These are two parties that came together. And this is really the far-right, uh, what were once considered the extreme fringe of Israeli politics. These are the settlers. These are people, one of their leaders was once in, uh, convicted for inciting racism. People who just a year ago, Benjamin Netanyahu himself said that they shouldn't be ministers and now just in the last few days he said yeah of course they can have a ministerial position but if these numbers hold then the question will be what kind of government will benjamin netanyahu lead there's a cnn's reaction to bb's return of course like with any conservative that's ahead in the polls or that wins an election this is a, a terrifying reality in the minds of those who work at uh, at cnn bb is back We'll uh, talk about that and much more on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live uh, video stream of this show. I was going to say audio, but it's both. It's both. You can. A lot of people just listen to the audio on their devices through our uh, podcasts. In any event, you can go to the live stream page, thetrumpet.com forward slash live, takes you to the live stream of the show. You can get to the podcasts on the website or have them downloaded to your device. So we certainly appreciate you listening to or watching this program any way that you can. So we have our Jerusalem correspondent, Brent Noctegal. He is on hand with, I think he just gave a, a, an interview this morning for the Trumpet Hour, so that probably comes up later today as well. So he's, uh, he's uh, giving double duty on, uh, on our shows here at KPCG, kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com website. So Brent, if you're there, maybe you could give us uh, just your, uh, your reaction uh, to what changed. I mean, Bibi, basically, he, he didn't have enough to build a government. I forget exactly when that was, but now he's back and they're talking like he might have 65 seats. What's the difference this time around? Yeah, so there's been five elections in the past four years. So a lot of political deadlock uh, with this. And each time those elections have taken place, no one has been able to get a full 60 seats. And so there's always been this political wrangling to try and figure out whether somebody's going to be have, able to have the majority in the Knesset. And it's always failed time and time again until about a year and a half ago when there was this government that came in that merged the left, the right, Arab parties. It was an anyone but BB uh, government. And that government has since failed. 
And so Israel went to a new election. But I think that something that Netanyahu had under his belt this time was a year and a half of governmental failure of the, the government that was meant to be, bring all the solutions, was meant to fix everything. And I think you see lots of problems that are besetting Israel with the economy, with people's uh, cost of living, with the terror situation inside the West Bank. You might not hear much about that, but there was another terrorist attack today just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. These are happening with increased uh, intensity. And then you also have what Israelis feel like this current government that just left. You feel they feel like this government is just a, a yes sir having a yes sir approach toward the biden administration and when it comes to iran negotiations where it comes to this really failed deal with lebanon uh at the behest of the biden administration there's lots of things happening with pressure from the biden administration that israel would normally stand up to under netanyahu but hasn't under lapid and so all these factors coming together and israel elects back uh benjamin netanyahu with a coalition getting 65 seats it looks like it's going to be this is this is a landslide in terms of israel's political system no need for political wrangling anymore uh he will have the opportunity to form a knesset over the next month outright with his own coalition wow so uh have you gotten a sense of just the general reaction there in israel today whether from the people or the press or both yeah, so uh, you see a lot of Likud flags. This is the political party of Benjamin Netanyahu around the neighborhood, uh, horns blasting in some of the cars. Uh, they're pretty happy with this. Uh, the radical leftist media over here, it's similar to what is in the United States. Uh, the mainstream is is furious. That CNN report you had at the top was kind of sim similar to what we see here in Israel. Haaretz, one of the main... Uh, propaganda outlets you could call them that for the left they had this editorial that was just basically a rant saying this is the end of democracy just one quote from this this is how they end it israel is now on the verge of a right-wing religious authoritarian revolution whose goal is to decimate the democratic infrastructure on which the country was built this may be a black day in israel's history so that type of rhetoric i think listeners of your program will be very familiar with but in this case, it's the Israeli press going at the Netanyahu new, the new Netanyahu government. Yeah, the uh, the parallels here are are striking. You mentioned uh, earlier about uh, the anyone but Bibi approach uh, and how that the government that's replaced him has been an abysmal failure. Uh, and two years ago, of course, not that Donald Trump lost the election, but there were plenty of people on the Democrat side and even on the Republican side that took the approach that we've just got to get anyone in there but. Donald Trump. And of course, now we're seeing the consequences of this, uh, this stolen election. You mentioned the press reaction there, too, uh, saying that this is the end of democracy. Here they just put it to the vote. Everybody votes. He gets, a, like right. you said, it's almost like a landslide. He comes in, and of course, not that we're, we're not expecting this kind of reaction from Haaretz, CNN, or whoever it might could be, but here they're crying out now that this is the end. This is the end of democracy. Pretty amazing. Well, we appreciate you yeah, joining us it, on today. Go ahead and give us a closing uh, comment before we go. Well, I think it is. I mean, Israel just had the most resounding, clear, definitive, decisive, democratic victory that it's seen in, in the past 10 years. 
and here we have the end of democracy rhetoric starting up we'll see how it goes the united states relationship i think is going to be a big one uh, at least over the next week how how they're going to respond to this new incoming government we'll wait and see well we thank you for that brent and we'll look forward to more reports as we go forward Following on uh, the point I just made there with respect to these parallels you see between politics in Israel and politics here in uh, the U.S., this was a, a clip from a PBS segment. Uh, I think this was just before the results of the election came in, but notice this, uh, this guy they're interviewing on PBS, clip nine. If you ask people from the center left, they'll tell you that democracy is at, is at stake, that there are forces within the right-wing camp that are extreme that would like to change the rule of law and the criminal justice system in Israel. But on the other hand, if you talk to people on the right side of the map, they fear a government with Arab parties who are believed to be extreme and anti-Zionist and anti-Jewish and anti-Israel, and therefore the Jewish character of Israel is at stake. So that's from PBS. Again, you see some pretty striking similarities there. Anybody but Trump, anybody but Bibi. In the case of Trump, now it's two years in, almost. And look at these disastrous uh, economic numbers that we're getting every day, every day. And of course, we're coming right up to a pretty important election ourselves here in the United States. Joe Biden, for his part, they, they pulled, the Democrat Party, by the way, pulled funding out of Florida races several weeks ago. And so when it's time to finally send Joe Biden out on the campaign trail, where do they send him? Florida. <laughs> they send him to these races that they've already given up on. Maybe it's because he can't do as much damage there. Because you listened to his speech yesterday, lots of damage, to put it nicely. This is a, a collection of some of his, his many missteps and just, just plain lies in some cases. This is uh, clip one. Come on, people. Let's wake up. We got the president of the United States in the house. Come on now. I know you got a little more energy than, than, than I hear. Okay, thank you very much. That's the crowd I know. Those are the people I represent. Okay, just wanted to make sure you were, were still here. And uh, I don't have a greater friend in the United States Senate, and I don't have a greater friend when I was vice president, nor as president. So, Debbie, thank you, kiddo. I don't know where you're sitting, but how many of you know somebody with diabetes needs insulin? You know how much it costs to make that insulin drug for diabetes? Cost. It was invented by a man who did not patent it because he wanted it available for everyone. I spoke to him, okay? Last time I was in Florida was almost a month ago because of Hurricane Ivan. Ian, excuse me. I tell you what, I don't know where, as they say in Southern, I don't know where y'all been. Hot damn, boy. I tell you, look. No one's ever reduced the debt that much. We cut the federal debt in half. It's great to be at Florida Memorial University, one of the nation's great HBCUs. I got my start at one of those other HBCUs, Delaware State University. Okay, that's pretty good, man. People's incomes went up the last quarter more than inflation. Economic growth is up. Price inflation is down. Real incomes are up, and gas prices are down. And they talk about inflation. You know, we're dealing with it for a whole second. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq and the impact on oil and what Russia's doing. I mean, excuse me, the war in, in Ukraine. And uh, think of Iraq because that's where my son died. The, uh, because he died. The, uh, but the point. So God bless you all. God protect our troops. And God give some of our Republican friends some 
enlightenment. Thank you. It's a big factor in where Biden has been these last few days. He is not going to the places that you're seeing former President Obama go to. No. It's because of that approval rating. And a lot of people are not, you know, they don't want to be seen with the president, quite frankly. Wow, I mean, it's a pretty brutal takedown right there from CNN, his friends at CNN. They don't want to be seen with him. And I liked how Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she's trying to get the crowd all stirred up at the beginning. It reminded me of Jeb Bush when he said, you can clap now. Please clap. Please. Please clap for the president of the United States. He's the fake president. And then he comes out and he utters all of these lies. Or maybe you could say, okay, an occasional misstep. I'm in public speaking. We all make the mistakes. But the mistakes and the lies, nonstop. Just a constant stream of them. He referred to Wasserman Schultz, by the way, as being a senator. She's uh, in the House. The guy who invented insulin, I think there was more than one that were involved in that project. But the, the two that he could have been referring to died before he was born. He said he spoke to him. He spoke to the inventor. He said this yesterday, campaigning in, in Florida, said that his son died in Iraq. That's why it was on his mind. His son died when he got home from cancer. It was years later. And then he's cut the debt in unless he found $15 trillion under his mattress. That's impossible. An audacious, brazen lie. Everything's great. Crime. I'll play the montages later of what they're saying now about crime. They're, the, all of these Democrats, they're coming up to the midterms and they're saying crime is going down. I can't even believe it. Listening to them. Crime is going down. They say, you know, they're massaging the numbers here and there to try to find these case studies with this or that or this specific kind of crime. But crime across the board has skyrocketed since this man came into office. This is from the Daily Signal. Far from saving the economy, the Biden administration's policies have demonstrably slowed the recovery and then pushed it in reverse. The economy was returning to pre-pandemic levels at an accelerated pace before Biden's America Rescue Plan was passed. But then it slowed considerably. It slowed considerably. It says here the Biden administration was not handed an economic mess, but it created one. It did not save the economy, but it sent it into a stall. It has not made people's lives better, but made them demonstrably worse. The numbers prove it. Income, it has not outpaced inflation. Inflation, of course, is skyrocketing. Pretty amazing. All of these missteps, all of these lies, all of these mistakes. He said he went to a historically, that's what an H, uh, HBC is, an historically black college, Delaware State. Never happened. He told the crowd yesterday that he got his start. He got his university training start at a historically black college. That's, uh, that's your fake president. It's no wonder they're not sending him to Wisconsin, to Michigan, to Nevada. Nevada's in play. Nevada's blue. Keep this in mind. Barack Obama's campaigning in Nevada. I forget the name of the, the Republican running for senator there, but he has, a, he has a pretty good shot of winning. Some polls say he's ahead. And so they're desperate. Obama's showing up with the celebrities. Look at this clip, clip two. I'm here to ask you to vote. 
That's too many of you. As he joined musician John Legend in rallying Democratic voters, former President Barack Obama sounding the alarm. Tuning out is not an option. The only way to save democracy is if we together fight for it. And as you heard from the, the news at the top of the hour, as part of his uh, stump speeches, he's talking about how if Republicans win, if they get a majority, there's going to be more violence, just like what happened at the Pelosi home. Still a lot of details about that attack. Very murky and still changing. Yeah, as much as the FBI tried to solidify everything with its ninth grade level brief or criminal complaint, whatever it is, there's still a lot of questions that people have about this. And, and, and to say at the same time that crime across the country is going down, but, but if Republicans win, there's going to be violence. There's going to be crime, just like the hammer attack. And then, of course, the nonstop, the nonstop arguing that if Republicans win, they're going to take your vote. They're going to take Social Security. They're going to steal that from you. If you're retired and on Social Security, they're going to take it. And then they're going to steal your vote. They're going to, they're going to make sure that you can't vote, especially if you're a minority. If you're a black, that's, what Repub- that's their goal. They don't want you to vote. Listen to this, clip three. Cisco's opponent wants to make it harder to vote. He's trying to one-up all the Republicans peddling lies about the 2020 election by saying that all elections in Nevada for the last 15 years have been fake. Really? The last 15 years, all of them. He's going around rural Nevada spreading lies about how you can't trust electronic voting machines. But apparently you can trust an, an election denier to oversee volunteers hand-counting ballots. That's not somebody you want in charge of your elections. It, it, it'd be like if the Raiders were playing the Chiefs. And, 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 and you notice that instead of the refs who've been calling games for 20 years, somebody said, hey, how about that guy over there wearing the, 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 the Chiefs gear who's been tailgating for the last three hours, drinking some brews, and ranting about the, how the Chiefs actually beat the Bucks in the Super Bowl last year, they look impartial. Let's, let's put them in charge. If you wouldn't do that for a football game, why would you do it for an election? I think he was drinking a few brews with the tailgaters before that speech. Just wild. I played the one for you yesterday. Unhin- the unhinged Barack Obama. We're getting a pretty good look at it. And some might say for the first time, they're worried, they're desperate. Zero Hedge says this, the Pennsylvania, this is regard. he's in Nevada, this is regarding Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court on Tuesday ordered counties to not count any ballots that are in undated or incorrectly dated envelopes in the upcoming November 8 elections, siding with national and state Republican groups in a lawsuit filed just over two weeks ago. Kind of a surprise to see the Pennsylvania Supreme Court step up and actually do something right to uphold election integrity. That's what we all want, right? But when they lose it, when they're unable to cheat and steal a victory, then a loss, a legitimate loss, that's seen as the end of democracy. Listen to this exchange from Joy Reid and Hillary Clinton, clip four. This is a real threat to the heart of our democracy. In fact, if uh, Kevin McCarthy were to become speaker, it's very likely that Marjorie Greene 
um, would get a gavel, that she would get a committee, that people like Lauren Boebert would get committees, that people like Matt Gates would be on committees, um, perhaps committees dealing with national security, because he would have to appease them in order to get enough votes to be speaker at all. Are you concerned that maybe voters are not putting those pieces together, that having a Republican House would mean that the people you're talking about would be even more empowered, that faction would be in power? Well, I think with all of the noise that we've got in this election season, um, I don't think people um, are able to really grasp that. But more importantly, I'm not sure they really understand the threats to their way of life. She's complaining about all the noise. This is all that they have to go on. Fine. If you then dial it down on the Pelosi attack, you you're not letting that that uh, crisis go to a waste. That's for sure trying to get as much mileage out of that as you can, and at the same time saying there's, there's no crime or that it's on the way down? This is the montage that we put together of the new talking point for the radical Democrats, that crime, crime is actually going down all across the nation. Clip 10. You know, perceptions of crime are all about perceptions, right? And, 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 and also about actual crime rates. But the perception in this case counts more than the actual rapes. Well, the first thing that I think we have to do is we have to stop sensationalizing America's crime problem because that leads to inaccurate narratives. It's, it's upsetting that uh, Democrats are losing the argument on the economy and crime. The other guys play the crime card uh, relentlessly and shame, shame, shamelessly. Portrayal of the facts are, are, are in entirely different places. Violent crimes, shooting, homicides are all down Meaningfully, between all they do is talk about crime, crime, crime. Well, I looked it up. Murders in major cities have fallen by four percent so far in 2022, compared with the same period a year ago. So but, crime is not on the rise; it's actually going down under Joe but, Biden. Oh, they're master manipulators. They have this conspiracy going all across America to try and convince people that in democratic states they're not as safe. Well, guess what? They're also not only election deniers, they're data deniers. The data shows that shootings and murders are down in our state by 15 percent. Fear works. I mean, have Democrats done enough to well, combat that? No, I think they've been very they've been caught flat footed on the crime issue. Democrats have a pretty good record on on crime, and yet they're not talking about it. And they it's in the same way. There's a lot of people in this country who believe the Democratic Party supported defund the police, and they didn't. Well, we'll see how, how that talking point works for them. They have a good record on crime. I mean, crime is down. Joy, Joy Behar looked it up. So, so they know. I mean, here, here, here you, what you see, what people see in New York City, in other cities in New York, Rochester, Syracuse, in Cleveland, in Chicago, in Houston, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, all these attacks from homeless people, random attacks, father-daughter working on their car, a nice father-daughter activity, some homeless guy just randomly attacks both of them, stabs them both. These kinds of things happening all the time. And district attorneys letting hardened criminals, violent criminals, out of jail on cashless bail. Except for the DePappy guy. Now, he needs to stay in jail because he represents a real threat. All Republicans do. But outside of that, outside of that crime, you know, we have a pretty good record on crime. So say these radicals. Listen to this 
attack ad. I mean, this is this is hard to believe coming from the mother of Brian Sicknick, who died, keep in mind, the day after January 6th, the day after the January 6th protest. Look at this ad that they put together to try to stop Carrie Lake, of all things. That The protest was in Washington, D.C. Carrie Lake's running for governor in Arizona. And this is what some radical Democrat outfit put together to try to slow down the progress that Carrie Lake is. She's got a double-digit lead at the moment. This is uh, clip five. I'm Gladys Sicknick. I'm the mother of Brian Sicknick, the Capitol Police officer who died defending our country on January 6th. Carrie Lake is very dangerous for our country. She saw what happened on January 6th and continues to spread the big lie. And we're going to have more violence because people, they believe whatever she says. It's very dire for our democracy, for our country, with candidates like Carrie Lake. My son died because of people like Carrie Lake. Her son died of a stroke, and she's blaming it on Carrie Lake or people like her. Really, really some disgusting stuff there. And of course, she's being used, just like Dip Happy's being used. He's crazy. He, go, he should go to prison, but still, they're using him to serve their purposes, to help fill in some of the detail on their false narrative. And for anyone to even question it, to raise even a question, well, that would just end democracy, or, or that would cause violence. Listen to this MSNBC outrage over something that Carrie Lake said at one of her recent uh, stump speeches, clip seven. Carrie Lake last night became the latest Republican to mock the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband, hit over the head with a hammer, 82 years old. The Republican nominee for governor of Arizona made a joke about that attack during a town hall last night. She was asked about school safety, and she said this. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. But... Again, that's a joke about an 82-year-old man having its home broken into and being beaten over the head with a hammer to laughs from the crowd. NBC News reached out to Lake's campaign. The campaign responded by saying her remarks do not need clarifying, meaning, Mika, she stands by the joke. I'm telling you. We also have Ted Cruz, a prominent United States senator, amplifying that conspiracy theory. And we should point out in that FBI affidavit, Mr. DePap confesses to this being politically motivated. He describes explicitly what he wanted to do and why he wanted to do it because of politics, debunking, in his own words, the conspiracy theory. See, the affidavit proves it. I mean, it, it, he, they didn't know each other, and it was motivated by politics. So says this radical Democrat attorney who filed that brief coming from the corrupt division of the FBI at San Francisco. You would think, given all of the shenanigans going on in their backyard with big tech, being in bed with big government. I read you that story yesterday from The Intercept and how that's, that's being exposed now. Would the F, could the FBI in the San Francisco division actually look into that? But boy, they've got all hands on deck with respect to DePape, DePape, DePap, whatever his name is, however you pronounce it. They've got all hands on deck with that. But as I'm listening to Carrie Lake, I don't think she's making fun of the attack itself. She's wondering about the security at the House 
of the third in line for the presidency. This is from Sundance. Apparently, the San Francisco home of Paul and Nancy Pelosi has real-time CCTV security remotely monitored by the Capitol Hill police. So what happened? Or, so let's see some footage. It says, however, as the story is told during the attack on Paul Pelosi, no one was watching the CCTV monitors, but it does appear there's a recording. That, that seems like it would be very helpful. It would dispel a lot of the rumors, a lot of the conspiracy theories. He quotes Fox News. Officers from the U.S. Capitol Police have live video surveillance outside of Pelosi's San Francisco residence but weren't watching it when David DePappi, 42, allegedly attacked Paul Pelosi, the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The officers were monitoring a live feed of many cameras which uh, include surveillance of the Capitol complex, but also monitor some points away from the Capitol, which include the Pelosi residents. So the Capitol Hill police, you know, we're, we're to revere them because they lost how, six, seven, eight, I don't know, nine, I think it's going up. They were murdered during the January 6th protest. So says the mother of Brian Sicknick, we've got the mother. We've got the narrative. We're not going to let go. We've got the January 6th committee. Now, they might have to let go of that. Because imagine if Republicans get a majority. This is, this is what terrifies Joy Reid and the, and, uh, the people at MSNBC. They, they would actually have some control over the committees. In other words, Americans would have a say over the committees. Who should be on the committees? What kind of committees we should have? Put it to the vote, just like they did in Israel. Happened yesterday. A landslide for Bibi. So say the people. This is what the people want. The end of democracy? I don't think so. It says here, according to sources, an officer was monitoring the feeds and saw police lights on the dark street outside the Pelosi's residence. When going through surveillance footage, the officer saw the alleged attack on October 28 when DePape allegedly struck Paul Pelosi. People briefed of the incident said, according to the report. Well, maybe, maybe more people will get to see this. And we can understand things, like if there was a third person there, or if they were dressed in underwear, or all black, top to bottom. Inquiring minds want to know. The Washington Post, defending this, says that, well, you know, uh, law enforcement officials, they're kind of shorthanded right now. Because there's a, a lot of crime going on, I guess. Well, is there or is there not? Crime or no crime? That is the question. Is there crime? Well, there is crime if there are Republican rallies. That, that much we know. Crime in the cities? No, no, no. That's, uh, we actually, we have a, a very good record, they say. I can't even believe they're saying this. I would just try to keep it as quiet as possible on that subject. But they're having a hard time doing it because there's so many... There's so many Republican ads just showing you the violence, showing you the crime so that you can see for yourself. And a lot of Americans are outraged. Even a lot of minorities, black Americans, Hispanics, they're outraged as they see their cities becoming these dangerous places that you can't go out into at night. I think there's... I think some of these people are right to have questions about the security at the Pelosi home. 
about some of the details surrounding the attack. This was Megyn Kelly, by the way. She used to be at Fox. Uh, this is on her podcast, Clip 6. There are security cameras all over that house. You can see them from the outside. Were they turned on? If not, why not? She's the Speaker of the House. Far less known public figures than Nancy Pelosi have taken extra security measures in and around San Francisco, given how high the crime rate is there. It would be insane for them not to have their cameras on. And you point out the body cam, the body cam, right? So if if he walked in there and he heard something on tape or if there was a third person, which now they're saying there wasn't, again, contradicts what they initially said, let's see it. Let's see it all. I don't know what went on. I know enough to, to smell a rat. I know enough to smell a rat. You know enough to know. Yeah, Donald Trump said the same thing the other day, that uh, there were some bad things going on inside that home. Let's just leave it at that. Perhaps, as I've been saying this week, we'll, we'll find out some more of those details. I told you about the brief that they filed in that San Francisco court uh, yesterday how that, uh, you know, it fits, it fits so perfectly into their narrative, and it's based on so little in the way of facts. A couple of interviews, one with the Pappy, one with uh, Paul Pelosi, while he's in the ambulance, I presume, just, get, just coming back from being knocked unconscious, and then another one, I guess, in the hospital, and then one witness on the street that was sitting in a car that said, yeah, I heard some banging. That's it. That's it. And they found out. They found out in one of those interviews that DePappy sees himself as a patriot, a pa kind of like George Washington. He's fighting for America's freedom and liberty. He's a dangerous traditionalist, this communist nudist. I mean, you look at the title of our show yesterday. It says it all. That's the most absurd, that's the most absurd component to this entire story that they've taken this homosexual, communist, nudist, living in a commune, and they've turned him into a MAGA Republican killer. And they've done, you listen to them closely, and uh, I don't even think they're on board with that. They're just kind of, they're keeping it vague enough, politically motivated. What do you mean about that? that is, it, is it politically motivated from the radical left or the far right? It's just politically motivated. And the only ones that are stirring up that sort of political motivation are the MAGA Republicans. Joe Biden said so in the blood red speech. And so Obama's on the campaign trail saying the same thing. They're all echoing the same thing. That's the only violence, the only violence that they see in all of America. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us at TD at the Trumpet. Dot com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within 
by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. Trumpet Daily. This morning in the epistles class, we went through 1 Corinthians 9, just a wonderful section there at the end of that chapter where Paul is talking about how that spiritually speaking, we're in a, we're, we're in a, a marathon race, or, or maybe more like a steeplechase where there's, there's barriers, obstacles that we've got to get around as well. But it is a test in so many ways. It is a test of endurance, and, and we're in training. We've got, to, we've got to really work it out, our own salvation, Philippians 2.12. And we've got to work spiritually. That's brought out in, uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 2 as well, that we're workmen. And we've got to use the Bible the way that God intended for us to use it. These two verses, this is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26. Paul says then about himself, I therefore so run in this race, I run not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that, I, that, that just beats the air. It's like one of our students said this morning. I mean, he's, he's making contact. He's not just swinging wildly and missing his target. He really is training seriously. And he wants each blow to connect, so to speak. Verse 27, it says, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means... When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I mean, the fact that he was a, a teacher of these, of these things, that, that added extra motivation to the Apostle Paul. He, he said, in the end, I don't want to end up being a hypocrite. Paul knew what it was like to be a hypocrite before his conversion. He was a strict Pharisee. But he says here, I don't want to be seen as a castaway. Of course, he was doing it for God. He's, he was running the race for God, first and foremost. But he also wanted to set an example for the people, for God's people, God's family. So he says, I'm going to keep my body, my mind in subjection to God's laws. I'm going to play within the rules, and I'm going to train. I'm going to work out spiritually and make sure that I'm ready for what's ahead. He also wrote in his letters about aiming for a reward. Philippians 3 speaks of a prize that he was aiming for. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 speaks of a crown that was waiting for him. So he was reward conscious. It's just that he was aiming for the spiritual crown. That's brought out in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, look, athletes in the world, they go after a perishable crown. Look at how disciplined they will be in one area of their life just to get a trophy, just to win a medal. But what about you? What about me? We're in a spiritual race, and God wants to crown us with eternal life, with power. That's awesome. That's worth 
that's worth putting in some time training for that for that future for that calling for that inheritance Ephesians 6 here in verse 12 it says for we wrestle not here's another sports analogy Paul used a lot of them for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places we're in a wrestling match with satan the devil and his demon army and we can't just swing wildly like the other example brings out we have to connect we have to connect this is what goes into resisting the devil and drawing near to god and then the devil will flee from us verse 13 says wherefore take unto you the whole armor of god put on the whole take all of it Put on God's armor. Use it. We're in war, spiritually speaking. It says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. We need God's armor in order to stand in this evil day that we're in, in order to, to remain steadfast, in order to hold fast, to hang on, to finish this race. We've got to finish. We can't stagger and fall to the ground right before the finish line. We've got to go through the ribbon. We've got to go all the way for God. This is what we agreed to when we counted the cost. Luke 14. We said that no matter what happens, no matter who might depart along the way or fall away from the truth, I've got to stay the course. How do we do that? Well, verse 17, just to skip over some of this, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. See, we use the word of God. As I've been going through principles of living and epistles of Paul, these are the two classes I teach here at God's College. As I've been going through these courses this semester, it's, just, it, it's been impressed upon my mind more than ever just how that the teachings... And the, the guidelines, the principles that we, that we promote and that we enforce even at this college and in this church, they all spring from the Bible. And, and they're laid out so clearly. We, we've been, in Principles of Living, we've been exposing the, the pagan immortal soul lie from the very beginning. When the devil said to Adam and Eve, you, you won't surely die. I mean, you've got an immortal soul. And look at how religion has even latched on to that pagan idea. That when everyone dies, that immortal soul either goes to heaven or hell. It's not even scriptural at all. And so many of the teachings and the doctrines of men are not. They're, they're exactly what Jesus said they were. Traditions of men. They're not the teachings of the Bible. And so God says this is one way to, to shore up your defenses, to strengthen your position Militarily speaking, spiritually speaking, it's to grab hold of that sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. We've got to use the Word of God. These are the teachings of God's church. They're found in this Bible. What a wonderful blessing the Holy Bible is. The Holy Bible is. By the way, if you continue your study... From 1 Corinthians 9 on into 1 Corinthians 10, the very first few verses there in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says to these Gentiles, by the way, that had come out of all of these Gentile practices, 
He, he takes them through all of this Old Testament history, and instead of using that opportunity to say, you know what, all of that Old Testament stuff, that, well, that's old, okay? That's, that's kind of been done away. We don't really ab- abide by that today. What we have is new. Instead, Paul says, look, all of these things happened. All of these, these, these trials, tests, everything that they went through in the wilderness and so on is for us. The Old Testament is for, and so instead of saying to these, these Gentiles new to the church, that the Old Testament is done away with. Instead, the Apostle Paul, in teaching them, says the two Testaments, they perfectly complement one another. And you should know this. You're new to the church. You really have no background in the Old Testament or the New. Of course, the New wasn't even fully canonized at the time. Paul had a hand in, in, in doing a lot of that. These letters that he wrote, the others of the general epistles, John's writings, of course, the gospel writers, And then you put it all together, and they go right together, hand in hand. Perfect complements to one another, the Old and the New Testament. And so we take up our sword, the Holy Bible. He says here in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit. Let's look over at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, as you turn there, I'll give you a quote. This is from Daniel Unsealed. At last, it says, God's people have always understood that their sword is the Word of God, the Holy Bible. But Satan has a sword too, a sword of lies and flatteries. We talk about that a lot on this show. Look at the lies and the flatteries on earth today, all over the place. How do you cut through it all? How do you get to the truth? Well, the truth comes from God. The truth, Jesus said, sets you free. The truth comes by the sword of the Spirit. God not only gives us the truth of the Bible, he gives us understanding of future events through the sure word of Bible prophecy. Think of the the understanding and the wisdom that we have, thanks to God, just because we're students of the Holy Bible. We actually use it. We use it as the instruction manual that it is. And what an advantage that gives us when cutting through the the lies and the flatteries. It says here, 50% of the Laodiceans will fall by this sword forever. If you look at this spiritually, God's people have fallen by the sword, the flame, and captivity. It's because they got away from their, their Bibles. It's because they stopped studying God's word. And they started relying on lies and flatteries. Smooth things. Your Bible speaks to this. You know, prophets coming with the straight up truth. And the people, the people saying, don't give us that. Give us something smooth. Give us something that we'll enjoy. Flatter us. Tell us everything's going to be okay. Tell us it's all perfect. Well, there is good news. And you hear about that on this show as well. And we're anxiously waiting for that time, as I was saying in Epistles class this morning. I mean, to think about this little earth and everywhere on this earth. It's little when you look at the universe. But when every nation on this earth is worshiping God and keeping the Ten Commandments and living by the way of give, living 
by the way of love? And then that, that God family vision, that God family spreading out into the universe? That's a pretty good conclusion. It all starts with the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. And that's a prophesied event that's coming in the next few years. Jesus Christ returned to this earth and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. We want to be ready for it. Revelation 19.7 says that the bride of Christ, the church of God, will be ready. She will be ready for it. Here's Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Speaking about the word of God, the sword of the spirit, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. E even a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart? Well, look at the advantage we have just knowing that the heart, the human heart, the mind of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That comes right out of your Bible. So you can see where so many of these, these radical insurrectionists these infiltrators, you, you know where this is headed. You know what they're aiming for. Never mind if they get out there and joke or mock those that would dare criticize them. Well, you're destroying things. Look at their fruits. That's another principle outlined in the Holy Bible. God says, Jesus said, judge, evaluate by fruits. Look at the fruits. If they come and lie to you, well, there's no crime. Crime's actually getting, it's getting much better in our cities. How do you know? Well, you obviously have to read a few things and listen to a few things outside of the pages of the Holy Bible, but the Holy Bible gives you direction. The Holy Bible tells you what, what it's going to be like in the last days. Read 2 Timothy 3. It says in verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, we can't hide. God will reveal us to ourselves if we're humbly going before him and using the word of God and, and responding to the correction and, and working, actually working to overcome sin, to put sin away. That's what Paul was trying to teach the Corinthian brethren. Read chapter 5 and 6. God says, put the sin away. There's one particularly grotesque case of incest in 1 Corinthians 5. And God, through Paul, said, get him out of the church. And yet you look at all of these, these false gods in the world today, the Greek pantheon of gods, and so many of them sprang from incestual relationships. I mean, how perverse is that? This was their religion. This is how the gods behaved. These are the gods of men. These are, these are gods men created in their evil, in, in their own evil hearts. But don't worry. Don't worry, Socrates would have said, the soul, never mind how perverted I am in my actions, the soul is pure, and I'm going to be going to a state of purity as soon as I die physically. That's a pagan doctrine. It actually predates traditional Christianity. If we just accept the Bible 
for what it is and receive correction from God through it. What a wonderful transformation it will bring about in our hearts and minds. The old correspondence course that Herbert Armstrong put out, it says, instead of acknowledging the truth, repenting of sin, having it legally justified by the blood of Christ, men seek to justify their own acts by perverting the sacred and holy word of God. It says here, the most difficult thing on earth for the average person to do is to admit it and confess it and repent of it when he is wrong. So yeah, I'm not saying it's easy to do. But if we're humble disciples of Christ, if we receive correction from God and then change, as it says there, confess it, repent of it, then how liberating that is to be free from sin. This world teaches you that it's the best place you want to be in is to be free to sin. Well, look at some of the homeless encampments in our cities today. They've got the freedom to do whatever, shoot up drugs, relieve themselves on the sidewalk. No restraints. No boundaries. Just wander wherever you want to go. If you've got a knife, you can randomly stab people too. Turning the grace of God into a license to disobey. That's what so many Christians, Christians in name only, fake Christians, that's what they did in the first century. How much worse is it today? God's grace covers all. That means we can just do whatever. Do whatever? A lot of people really believe that. And so they don't use the sword of the Spirit. They don't study the Bible. They don't see the Bible as the instruction manual that it really and truly is. Verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, or Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You see, our profession. We're professional Christians. This is our vocation. We're warriors for God. We're athletes in training, to go back to the analogy in 1 Corinthians 9. And that means we have to really and truly work at being a student, a good student of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. You can email the show, TD at the Trumpet. Dot com. Thanks for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you next time.